tune in next time. Should we just go ahead and just talk about the fucking bee? <laughs> <laughs> the bee in the room. Because that was really like, that was distracting. Aye. From the movie. Quite distracting. Um, it's hot today in Scotland. It's been hot for the last few weeks now. It has been. It's been a while. You said you're getting sick of it. Aye, it's oh, too much heat after a what while. What are you talking about? You can't get sick of good weather. But I like I like warm sunny day, but with just a little bit of a breeze. I like the relief of a little bit of breeze. I'll, I'll bring up your issue, I think. Oh yeah, I know, I know, I know. But let's discuss it. You you don't change your like attire for when it's nice. So like your normal kind of clothing is you you go for the t shirt. You've usually got a shirt over the t shirt, and then you've got black jeans on. That's usually. Can you usually guarantee the Danny Jones triple triple hair? I always have black jeans. Not always, but like you're usually wearing. Okay, well jeans then. You're you're usually wearing jeans, but like on a day like today, that can't fly, Danny. You need to get you need to get lighter. You need to 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 pack lighter. You can't be walking around wearing an, an you can't wear an undershirt and a flannel shirt. You got to choose, man. <laughs> Choose one or the other. It's too hot to wear two shirts. One of them is though for when I have to uh, go home at night. It's always because I'm I'm out all day today, and then later on, keep it in your bag. I suppose I did bring a bag. Yeah, you did bring a bag. So yeah, I just shut that down. I didn't even let you have your little fucking rebuttal. (laughs) That's fair enough. I would say you you won't feel as warm if you dress more appropriately for the hot weather. I'm not a t-shirt boy. I don't like t-shirts. Don't like the way I look in them. But it's hot. It's hot out. So I'm starting to wear t-shirts now. Short-sleeved shirts. There's another one. Yeah, so you you used to work at Matalan. Yeah. You know, they sell shirts. Yeah. With short sleeves. They do. I bought one from there. Yeah. It's nice, yeah. It's got flowers on it. Bought another one that's got flamingos on it. I look summery as fuck right now, don't I? Not right. Well, right now I look good as well. I got pink. I got pink flowers. Flowery boy. I'm a t-shirt. I'm all about flowers. Summer flowers. Exactly. Some more flowers. Get yourself some short sleeve shirts. You'll start sweating less. Stop dressing like a hipstery boy with the flannel on top of a t-shirt. It's a bad time. Too hot. You know, it's 22 degrees today. We're not used to that. Our little Scottish bodies. <laughs> no, I mean, keep expecting it. Even now, I feel like I wake up in the morning and I'm like... Feeling like P. Diddy. <laughs> I've got another left. That's the end of that <laughs> sentence. I got like another guy can say afterwards. So anyway, it's a nice day. Right. So, But we this was the only opportunity we had to record the podcast. So we were like, fuck it. We'll just we'll, we'll rattle through. We'll power through. We'll, we'll, we'll push. Push through. And um, so we opened some windows, and known to happen when you open a window, bugs try to get in, and a particularly large bee. It was, it was, <laughs> he was a large fucking one. huge, or she. It was fucking huge, like ridiculous. And it, like the bee immediately starts panicking. Like he he came in and he just immediately was like, "I've fucked up somewhere," and he's trying to fly back out, but he can't because what's this weird invisible force field? <laughs> It's stopping me. Am I in a video game? Am I in Spyro? Yeah. He's and wondering if he's in Spyro. He's having a bad... Because he's played. 
Uh, he's played Spyro. He's excited for the remaster. He's a, <laughs> he's a worker bee, but you know he's got to have he's some be, time off still. He's going to be watching E3 very intently for that sweet that sweet Spyro gameplay. Do um, not think he would prefer Spider Man. Mm. So spider in it. the bee is just fucking freaking out, and we're trying to watch this particularly sad movie, but just for a good five minutes, just as it's trying to like hit off the window but there's nothing we can do about it we just have to like let it Aye. happen you have to let him find his way back out and um so like <laughs> we're watching him and he keeps moving from like window to window we're like come on buddy just, just move to one. the right one move to the open one he eventually moves to the open one but he goes too high up and then goes down in between the two windows like in between the two like window frames so he got stuck so now he can't go forward or back so now he's freaking out even more <laughs> it's just like it was really devastating to watch and then I went to the bathroom and when I came back I'd missed his victorious yeah. exit can you describe that for the viewer in de- the listener sorry in detail well like it was a tense moment because all, all he had to do was just climb over this one bit of like this one section of window frame and then he'd figure out he was in the open air he could just fly off yeah, and for the, for the first for the first few times, he kept trying. He crawled over a little bit, came back, retreated, and he's just on the edge of it. And he takes a few steps more down, and you're like, "You're so close, you're so you're close." So- <laughs> and then it's like he's going slow and slow and slow, and then suddenly he figures it out. Down, boom, flies away. Together. Ne- like flies r- opposite direction of the window. He's like, "I'm never going back there." Again. <laughs> That's not happening. The thing is, like a few, like about twenty minutes later, another bee hit the window, and I'm like, "Did you guys learn nothing? Has no one passed on the message yet? What are they doing? What are they coming here for? I don't know. They always do. Like you, I always seem to have like a if a bee and a wasp flies into your room, it seems to then desperately want want to get out. Oh, whoa, oh, whoa! Like he's walked in on some like some yeah. crime or something. Whoa, hang on, now I need to get out of here. This is not where I'm meant to be. Because <laughs> they realize that not where they're meant to be. This is not where I'm meant to wasp. Good. Uh, the other day, I had guests coming over. All right, you're... on Saturday. Guests. I was Did you get some snacks out? I didn't know. I provided a few cans of tenants. Well, nice. Some mixer for the vodka that was brought. Um, but I was I was hosting, and um, I had the window open because it was quite hot, and a big fly came in, and like a huge blue bottle. And I was trying to get rid of it before they came over because nobody wants that. Nobody wants no. that when they're coming over. And it was just, it was like it was like Breaking Bad in my <laughs> living room. <laughs> I was like up on the sofa, like trying to hit this thing. So we have quite high ceilings. I'm like trying to bat this thing out the room, and it's just not budging. And it's a bad time. Eventually, it just it just I get like much like the bee, it just went out on its own volition. He was like, I've uh. had my fun. <laughs> but he seemed a lot. Whereas the bee kind of seemed like ah, ah, ah! the fly seemed a bit more like yeah, fuck you, bitch. I'm hanging out in here now. <laughs> And then eventually he was like, right, I've I've had my fun. I'm just going to casually exit. Enjoy your party. <laughs> well, not party. There's a few people from work, but it's good times. Um, But that was the B. Yeah, really it was distracted very distracted. Us from the- it, was, it was quite <laughs> like big. Maybe that's why. It was very loud and quite big. And it had a story. Yeah. An emotional arc. It really did. And that's why today we're going to review the story of the B. Because every now and again, like while he was in the room... Because the movie was quite... There's a lot of stuff that happens in the movie that I felt needed a kind of audible reaction. Yeah. I think we both did. And there was a couple of times where someone would do something and I was like, I'd look at you and be like, 
Was that about the bee or was that about the <laughs> was that about the movie? I'm getting confused now. So I'm trying to watch both happen at the same time. Um, do you want to introduce the podcast so we can start talking about the movie we watched? What's up, people of Peopleton? Welcome to Second Opinion Movie Podcast. I'm your host Danny Jones and Scott Morrison. So yeah, I don't even get like a co-host. Co-host Scott Morrison. It's because I usually come up with some sort of. Thing related, yeah. To I gave you film. so much to work with there. I took a swig of Iron Brew, right? Oh, well, that, I, I usually relate it to the film, but then all the only thing that popped in my film at that head was the names Mary and Max, something like, and <laughs> I, I don't, but like, it's like, and suffering from depression is Scott Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just does that just sounds mean because it's not related to the film enough for people listening to make that connection. Yeah, that would be, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, don't bully him about it, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we have. I still have the old school iron brew. Oh uh, yeah, it's so bizarre. It's pretty great. You hear that? You hear that, listening? You know Contraband. That's fucking. It's good shit, man. Right? Aye. You should be grateful that I gave you a can of this because this Aye. is the old school recipe. It says still got thirty four grams of sugar. That's too much. <laughs> says Nicola Sturgeon. I disagree. Fenadin, not enough. Throw more in there, Nicola. <laughs> was it her that implemented the sugar tax? I'm very ignorant to these things. <laughs> Today you found out about the alcohol. Minimum prices. Scotland's becoming a pain in the arse to live in, man. A pain in the arse it's to live in. It's especially a pain in the arse to drink in. I can't get fucking sugary drinks anymore. Can't get the old school iron brew anymore. I gotta drink the new aspartame filled shit. I can't buy booze after 10 o'clock. I can't get discount on my booze. I can't get... A cheap bottle of booze because now there's limited pricing or like like stop it stop making this country hard to live in and we can't even drink in our parks we can't drink in the not park. in Glasgow I mean we can we do it <laughs> all the time because what they get uh, the logic of everyone because we've been at Kelvin Grove Park quite a few times recently because it's been so sunny hmm. and we've just been drinking in the park and the logic of everyone I think is well they can't stop all of us <laughs> like <laughs> what, what four policemen going to stop the whole park from drinking it's just not going to happen the police actually at one point so I was told started just handing out plastic cups to people because it's easier just to be like look just put it in this so it's not obvious rather than arresting because <laughs> there's too many people there's yeah, too many people that's amazing like if you're being an asshole and being loud and shitty and throwing your booze everywhere and stuff like yeah you deserve to get it taken away but if you're just chilling out you're not causing anyone any harm. Like, just leave it alone. Hmm. Leave it be. But drinking in the park is good. It's a great time. But yeah, it's becoming a pain in the arse to live here. Hmm. Do you think? Yeah, in, in terms of alcohol, I, even just like working behind a bar, there's just a lot of stuff that uh, you're just not allowed to do. And there's some people ask. Some people ask you to mix like various things you can't. Mm. Um, there's like a lot of places kids can't be in after 10 o'clock which you usually wouldn't think is a problem mm. but sometimes can be and there is a there is a lot it's of licensing well in a alley yeah uh, there is a lot of licensing law so it's can it can be quite a lot to keep up with yeah and it's it's also like like especially with the sugar tax it's like okay you're taking sugar you're trying to lessen the sugar in our fizzy drinks but I work in it like when that was implemented it was around Easter time I worked in a shop where they were selling off cases of Easter eggs for like 25p an egg. And that, what, that's just fine, is it? It doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. Give me my fucking old iron brew back. (laughs) I've only got about 40 cans left. It's getting stressful. Because once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. 
Gone for I it. reckon I keep a can, sell it on eBay. Yeah? The expiry date's not till, like, next July. So you just... Like next July, like, yeah. next year. So, I'm thinking sell a can on eBay. Limited supply. Because someone will buy it. Uh, Some idiot. <laughs> You've got a uh, longer date, because it's so filled with sugar, it's preserved, so you're fine. Yeah, it should be okay. Keep it in the fridge, stop mold. <laughs> um... <laughs> And that's the sugar tax part of this podcast. <laughs> that's uh, our recent our podcast on Scotland. What it's like to live here. I mean, it's it's nice, but it's just getting a bit annoying. But what do you think about the state of Australian animation, Scott Morrison? It's really sad, Danny. It's really sad. I was trepidatious about what big words look at that just fucking Whoa. look at that my brain just knew that well, was how much sugar is in that word apparently <laughs> too much for a bloody Scotland mate let me tell you Nicola would be having a fucking heart attack um, so we just watched it we watched a film called Mary and Max yes uh, or Max and Mary I think it's Mary and Max Mary and Max keep repeating it until I find out Mary and Max Max and Mary uh, yes, yeah, so it was a film called Mary and Max uh, from 2009, which was directed by Adam Elliott, who I've had a look at, and it does not appear he's done anything else other than short films with the same animation style. Aye. Uh, the most recent one, I think, being from 2015, called Ernie Biscuit. Okay. Um, it would be interesting to go through his short films, actually, and see... Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, so like you said, it's an Australian stop-motion animation film about... Well, how would you describe it, Nanny? It's about a relationship <laughs> that forms between two um, random pen pals and their various uh, obstacles in life and how they deal with it and how they communicate with each other. It's ultimately about uh, a film about just dealing with terrible stuff that happens in your life and how you can um, connect with people. And it's, it's a sad film. I... I guess there's you get animations like this and you're never 100% sure if they're aimed at um, kids, especially um, when we talked about it recently, Isle of Dogs, which has stuff that's like yeah. mostly okay for kids, but there are various I, things. Yeah, the that whole you're tone like, of that film I don't think would relate yeah. well with children. Um, so I wasn't sure about Mary and Max until like about halfway through and I was like, no way is kids supposed to be watching this. It's yeah. like, this is a bit like... Um, in too intense to introduce kids to these um, ideas at like face value, no, just just saying depression. Yeah, I was quite uh, I like I used earlier trepidatious, trepidatious about uh, watching this movie today because it was it was quite nice outside, and we're sort of looking at this movie and it's from the cover it looks mostly black and white, and I'm seeing the description on the back and I'm like, Danny, this sounds sad. Sounds like it's going to kill my buzz big time. <laughs> and boy, howdy. <laughs> but did the bee kill your buzz? I, I tried to relate it there, but didn't I quite see work what you out. did there. You tried to relate it. I to tried it. to. I didn't. It, it was worth a go, though. Can, can I at least get credit for You just tried to bring things full I'm... circle back to the uh, back to the intro. I like yeah, that, Danny. That's a mark of a good co host. Thanks. And it's a mark of another good co host to be supportive of uh, the first one. Thanks, man. Let's keep patting ourselves on the back. For <laughs> um, so, what. Uh, what. Up front, did you think of this movie? I like this movie. It's very good. It's right? I thought it was it's it's dark, depressing, but it's also sweet and charismatic. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, I really like this film. I really liked it. Something I thought about it 
because I, I, I googled where it was made because the 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 two characters the Mary lives in Australia and Max lives in New York. I thought the tone of the film at the start felt very British. Hmm. Did you get a sense of that? Yeah, um, but then like because of like they're more recently. Because Australia's part of the Commonwealth and stuff. It does mm-hmm. usually get, like, more British influence, does it? Yeah. Like, it usually, like, a lot of, like, stuff from Britain ends up um, making it somewhat big in Australia anyway. Mm. Uh, and vice versa. So, yeah, I guess they have a bit more in common with us. Especially because the Australian film scene does seem to be... Have, like, a bit of a, a grit to it. Which is very much... Maybe not as much recently, but, like, was for a time, like, British film's identity. Like... Uh, social realism and grittiness and stuff was yeah so it's it does feel like it has especially at the beginning something in common with that i thought more like even just cho- like british children's entertainment like it has a very kind of i mean it has i guess a, a very storybook feel to it hmm. because of the way it's structured the way that the film the way the story of the film is told is it's all almost all through narration hmm. except for the letters that the two characters write to one another are read in their in their voices. Hmm. But even that is still like a method of storytelling. That's still them narrating just themselves. Narrating themselves, Aye. yeah. And so I don't know, I guess maybe because it had this kind of storybook feel where at the beginning especially it felt like it was setting up a children's tale where like just the way it's structured where like this is Mary and Mary lives in such and such and this is her neighbour who lives across the street he he here he has this and quite like jovial and i don't know i just got a very i was like this almost feels part of me thought as well it felt there was elements of kind of like wes anderson the way he introduces characters and it's it's it'll be like like uh especially when they introduce the father character in the beginning and they say uh he he his hobbies include drinking baileys and stuffing uh, and like taxidermying the bodies of dead birds he finds on the side of the highway, and I was like, that just sounds like the way a Wes Anderson character yeah. would be set up. Yeah, <laughs> this does kind of feel like a inspired <clears throat> by like a Wes Anderson direction, mm. Mm. without that kind of definitely kind of without his visual style. Mm. No, he's got his but, own visual yeah, style. I thought narratively it kind of had a little bit of that. Aye. Hmm. So this is like, I, I this may be an obvious question, but sometimes you can't tell. Um, this is like straight up old school stop motion animation. This isn't something mm, made, I would to look, so. made to look like stop motion animation. I, I, it definitely has the look that it's genuine. Yeah. It's very old school Wallace and Gromy. Yeah. Gromy? Gromy. <laughs> Wallace and Gromy? <laughs> Wallace and Gromit. Because the um, animation, I would say the animation style feels like a cross between Wallace and Gromit and like a, um, a Beano comic. You know, in the old Beano comics, they kind of were sort of yeah. drawn almost like, there's almost like a, a weird ugliness to the style that you would share with a like a Beano comic. Uh-huh. Um, which was just um, paired together and stop, stop motion if, when it's done, like... It just always looks beautiful. Even just looking at I Love Dogs, stop motion, oh, just yeah. like, oh, it just always looks good. Wallace and Gromit. So there was a moment I really cluelessly, I think it was just a, a little little blip in the old brain where I was watching the black and white sequences and I was like, 
oh, they got all this black and white clay. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you fucking idiot. They, they shot it in colour and then edited it to be black and white, you dick. <laughs> I had this argument in my head. Um, I've got the information that you were looking for. <laughs> Why would they have a shortage of black and white clay, though? Do you get black and white clay? But do you not colour it anyway? No, clay is bright, isn't it? And then you colour it... Oh, so why would not colour it black and white? <laughs> yeah. For a moment, I, you... you tri- no, I, I'm I felt really on my own argument. <laughs> <laughs> I like the... You can colour clay every... Uh, colour clay every other colour but black and white. I know, it just seems like... Surely you wouldn't... N- Principal photography lasted over 57 <laughs> weeks using 133 separate sets, hmm. 212 puppets, and 475 miniature props, including a fully functioning Underwood typewriter, which apparently took nine weeks to design and build. They made the typewriter? That's that must have been a big that must have been a big typewriter then, yeah. Hmm. This must not be like Surely the puppets must have been sort of bigger than normal then. Yeah. Which I guess, now that I think about it, it does have a... That look to it, where it looks like they'd be like physically bigger. Hmm. Hmm. I guess so. I guess now you said that. I, like, it's always exciting to when you see behind the scenes of stuff like Wallace and Gromit, where like they walk in and they just see... Like, you see sets. Like, mm. you see sets and characters of all these claymation. It's like, animation is not inherently um the most exciting thing to make during because no. like it's a lot of computers and uh programming and stuff like that but when when you're doing an old school stop motion it just you just walk in and you see all these beautiful sets made with meticulous detail you're like oh yeah oh i want me some of that yeah i'd love ooh, to just baby. and then you realize that the process of stop motion animation is agonizingly long did you ever have lego studios I don't believe so. You ever heard of it? No. Lego Studios was this thing back in, I want to say the early 2000s, uh, that Lego Lego released, and it was a Lego movie set, and it came with a webcam uh, that you could plug into your computer, and you could make, and it had like an editing software with it and stuff, and you could make your own Lego movies. Okay. Using this camera and stuff. And uh, I, I'm going to Google it later on, and we're going <laughs> to more fucking find out. Um, but it was great. I used to play with it all the time, and you could do the best way to do that. Obviously, was to use was to do stop motion animation. So you took lots of photos. You had to move your the guys for like a tiny bit. But the weird thing about the Lego Studios was it if you didn't have and it just had to be like a tiny little bit. If you didn't have a tiny bit of actual video footage, the stop motion stuff would just like shoot right through and hmm. would last seconds or like not even seconds like milliseconds so you had to have but if you had like two seconds of footage in there it would kind of render properly and it would play at a speed where it actually looked like a guy was moving I used to make tons of movies using Lego Studios and it was real good because it just on the timeline if you took a photo it just added that onto the timeline that's cool and like made it the sort of size that you needed it and things so it's good it was like learning to be a little filmmaker back when I was a little starry eyed boy and didn't realise what all that entailed and then got scared and decided against it <laughs> <laughs> uh, stop motion animation is definitely for people with a specific enthusiasm for it mm. and a hell of a lot of patience mm. oh yeah 
hell of a, a, a heck of a lot of artistic talent as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, which I am not. I'm not an artiste. <laughs> um, you pronounce it correctly though, which which makes me think you're an artiste. The so the voice cast in this. Shout out to my boy, my boy Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Just the second I hear his voice, I'm like, oh, that makes me sad now. That yeah. by proxy made me sad. <laughs> just, just that. The just film that was sad enough. Paratextual thing that you just like, you know, he's already dead. The film was sad enough, and then I hear Philip Seymour Hoffman's voice, and I think, oh, you could have brought the world so much more, Philip. You gave and gave and gave. You could have given so much more. He was a brilliant actor. I'd say mm. he's probably my favorite actor. No, he's just, he's a fantastic. He was a fantastic actor. He was just. Even just that role, just his compelling voice. Yeah, like, yeah, because he kind of goes for this weird New York... Like, old Jewish man. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, it's, yeah, he's so compelling. Every time he's on screen, you're like, brought into it straight away. To the point that sometimes when it cuts to, like, Mary when she's older, you, it's kind of a bit jarring to have, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman go against a sort of... Mm. Um, Whoever plays Mary as an adult. Like uh, it's... So Mary is played by, voiced by Toni Collette. Collette. You remember her? No, what would I know uh, her from? She was the mum in Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, okay. And the mum in The Sixth Sense. Okay. And I've not seen About a Boy, but I'm going to assume she was the mum in About a Boy. Ooh, um, I have seen About a Boy. So she's done good. She's good as a mum. She's going to be in the film Hereditary. Oh, that's this got a bit mental of hype fucking... at the moment. Yeah, well, damn, I'm clicking on it now. 94%, baby. It's supposed to be the new Exorcist. When is the 14th? Uh, seven days, 14th. a week today. I want to see it real bad, Danny. I ain't even going to lie to you, I want to see it real bad. <laughs> loves me a good horror movie. Uh, I've not even seen the trailer, actually. I keep seeing it on advertising the side of buses, and I'm like, ooh, I'll give me a slice of that pie. Uh, you should see the finger wagging. <laughs> There's a lot of finger wagging. Um, and then also, fucking Eric Bana makes yeah. a little pop up appearance. Which you were like, you never hear from Eric Bana anymore. And I was like, well, yeah, it's 2009 that this movie was made, so. <laughs> This must have been when we were still getting phone call, regular phone calls, regular check When did Eric Banner just stop making... I'm not sure that he did. I just I mean, I was, not... Not, very few actors stopped making films entirely. But when did he, like, fall out of the public spotlight? It wasn't after Hulk. Because he kind of kept going after Hulk, I think. Because Hulk was way back in 2003. Is that right? <clears throat> I don't know. It sounds about right. Oh, the Hulk, Hulk is the first thing that comes up. When you type in Eric Banner. Jinky, Jinky appreciates that? Um, probably not. Not after, like, Mark Ruffalo being the um, popular one now. Yeah. Well, Edward Norton's probably a bit better about that as well. Uh, the most recent movie he's been in. Oh, he was in King Arthur. <sighs> Silly boy. I read a list that. recently with that. That was one of the biggest cinematic flops ever. Really? Mm. I mean, it looked terrible. It looked terrible. What was Guy Ritchie thinking? <laughs> He was in a film in 2002 called The Nugget, which has possibly the worst poster I've ever seen for a movie ever. Amazing. Look at this. All right, let's have a look. This is good visual. So what have I got? I've got... I don't even know what I've got here. Yeah, it's mad. It's terrible. It's just a bunch of faces, and it's been color-corrected really bizarrely, and there's a ring, and is that supposed to be The Nugget? A 24-carat comedy (laughs) starring Eric Bana, Stephen Curry, Dave O'Neill. There is a woman on the poster as well. She's the front and centre of the poster, yet she is not credited. 
That's different time back Unless then. her name is 24 Karat Comedy. <laughs> it's a different time back then. It certainly was. Back, back in, in 2002. Back in 2002, women didn't have the same rights they did now. Three friends, the unlucky Lotto, the naive Wookiee, <laughs> and the lazy Sue are road workers by day and gold diggers on weekends. On a trip, on one trip out in the hills, the three misfits strike it rich when they stumble across a huge nugget of gold worth millions of dollars. After the three friends argue over how, how to split their findings, they encounter even bigger problems. Other gold prospectors know what they found and they're trying to steal it. <sighs> Danny, I think we just spent the next week. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, yeah. when are we doing it? The nugget. Um, but anyway, yeah, I thought the voice cast was... Who's the narrator? <clears throat> I don't know. Because he kind of has to hold the film for the he most part. He seems like a very familiar voice. He does, but I wonder if that's just a narrator voice. Like, yeah. You know what I mean, if that's just... He's very sort of... Intrinsically, that like, makes you feel yeah. comfortable in that kind of way. Almost ri- middle-of-the-road British. I get uh, probably another reason I thought it was a British movie was because he sounded quite British. Yeah. Okay, so I have the narrator. Uh, a man called John Barry Humphreys. Not familiar. Even though with a fucking fantastic name like that. An Australian comedian? Uh, should we see if he's got anything? Ah, oh, no, he's like a stand-up comedian and stuff. I don't think he's been in many... Many movies. Uh... Oh, he's the voice of Bruce the Shark in Finding Nemo. Alright. And he is the role of the Goblin King in The Hobbit. The Hobbit Part 1. I don't remember it. The most hope he was the big CGI video game. Oh, yeah. I feel like I do vaguely remember it. Yeah. Without him. I remember, Danny. <laughs> must still make like, some some money off being Bruce the Shark. Yeah, you must do. Because like, sure. everybody Was he in Dory? Line. No, he wasn't in Dory, was he? Are they Dory. not in Finding Dory? No. This is like a mistrip. No, because... Fi- no, Finding Dory's not a prequel. It's I a assumed sequel. it was a prequel because... That's how movies work these days. <laughs> no, it's a sequel. I can't wait to see the third film, Finding Yourself. That's so deep. Even though Finding like Dory... Like the ocean. Was... That's deep as well? It is. Like the ocean. That's deep as well. <laughs> You're just saying the same thing. End up in an endless loop. Um, no, that's cool. He, he, he was a good narrator. He held it together. It's, I thought so, yeah. Uh, it's um, the, the film kind of relies on the of the two free narrators, Mary Max and the the general narrator, and um, they do a good job of like balancing that with the animation. Most of the animated, it's like short animated sequences of their lives that are more um, uh, fitting or contrast what the narrator's saying, mm-hmm. and they use that to good humor and stuff. Um, it's very. Um, um, they're used very well, considering that narration films don't always work. Mm. You just yeah, but it's narrating. something that I feel films are steering further and further away from now. Is narration? Aye, because I guess the v- the viewer doesn't want to just be told what's happening. But then it's hard to make that's it work. not the way. Again, I would stand by that. That's not the way this film does it. This film is that's its means of storytelling. Like mm. it is if the film is is if you are being read a story, mm. um, rather than. Let's just put in what the character thinks and go from there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that the way it tells the story, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed. I the actually animation. almost thought for a while 
I didn't think there was going to be any voice, vo- like voice actors in it, hmm. because for a lot for the first sort of ten minutes of the film, until you hear the until you hear the first letter being written and you hear Mary's voice, um, it's all the narrator and he says like, "Oh, Mary thought to herself, no, 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 no." I did wonder if it was going to go down the route of like, all like. I don't know, I'm going to get a sandwich, said Mary, or something like that. You know um, what I mean? And literally tell the whole film like a story. But it doesn't, but then it does adhere very closely to that, because like we said, the only times you hear their voices are, apart from like a couple of moments yeah. here or there, um, but there's no there's no conversations held in the film. Yeah, no dialogue scenes. Like the conversation takes place across their letters. That's the core of the film, and it's not, there's no scenes of dialogue, yeah, apart from the odd kind of him grumbling at somebody on the street or something like that mm. which is not not like a scene of dialogue it's just scrumbles um but yeah I think it's a really interesting way to tell a story because like I said I think with that with the whole animation thing I think these adult animation films do sometimes do like a good job of keeping that kind of childlike like sensibility yeah like, do you know well what as I, I say when when i first watch it it was oh, i was i didn't it took me a wee while to get to the point where i felt nah this isn't supposed yeah. to be a kid like a kid's film uh especially because when mary starts the story she's a child so she kind of uh she describes the uh, like the what we would consider the problems in her life her um depressed father her alcoholic mother um and she describes it in a way that's kind of naive that she doesn't realize um, what these um, problems are. Stuff like her alcoholic mother insists that she always has to keep taste um, taste testing yeah. the sherry um, and she doesn't realise her mum's alcoholic. So you think it almost it has like a naivety that like you maybe a kid's supposed to watch and an adult's supposed to pick up the reasons behind it but then when she grows up it becomes a bit more on the nose. Mm-hmm. So, um, so then there's like a oh, oh, definitely an adult film. Yeah. I was going to ask you about some of that because there is there is some kind of stuff in the film that I think is a bit like on the nose but I was thinking about this and I was like does it get away with it more because it is a cartoon and it's already kind of removed from that like it's already removed from a kind of realistic Mm. tone anyway so when you have things like where she starts turning back into her mother you know, it's like because yeah. the mother was addicted to well, that she drank sherry. And that yeah. was her thing. And then when the when Mary's life starts falling apart, she turns to sherry. And I was like, well, that's a bit kind of on those. But I was like, well, it's like, I guess it's a cartoon, so I'm kind of it doesn't feel as not good. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what the words I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, because it's because especially because it's telling it as like a storybook, so it almost feels. Mm. obvious it's maybe on the nose that she looks in the mirror and she sees herself as her mum yeah that, like, that was that, kind of what is that not, is yeah. that necessary when we're all adults like she picks up the sherry she's turning into her mum yeah um that's what i mean because it's a cartoon you can and it's already removed from a realistic tone then you kind of are able to get away with more on the nose things like that because hmm. you're able to do more creative things with animation as well, yeah so it's like hmm. i guess yeah I think, yeah, I, I, like I wouldn't even know. Like I think, as I say, they um, they didn't need to be on the nose of showing her as her own mother. But like, I, think I, 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 I when they she picked up the sherry, it was like, well, come on, guys, let's be a little more subtle about this. It was like, yeah, yeah I get, it. I get what you're going for. Because you know, things like when he has the anxiety attack, 
Hmm. It's so over-animated. Yeah. Like, his face is just... Is literally just water by that point because of all the sweat. And it's, it's you know, barely off going so far as to show, like, smoke... There's steam coming out of his ears or something like that. You know what I mean? It's very animated and over the top. But you get away with that because it's a cartoon. Hmm. You get away with using, like, more hyperbole. You can be more expressive with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I kind of like that. I did. I liked it as well. It's weird almost to see these um, these things that are like problems and staples of like people's lives and that people live with. It's almost weird, like almost cathartic to see it in the sort of over exaggerated mm. tone um, that just sort of shows the the sort of silliness of it all. Yeah. Did you think it kind of tackled its themes quite well? What were its themes, Danny? Its themes. Um... I'd say loneliness was pretty. Yeah, it's more connections, isn't it? Yeah, like it's. It, I felt that strongest when um, uh, Mary's father dies, and um, her mother's actually sad about it, which is almost surprising mm. because you don't see a connection between. Well, you, you don't, don't see them interact. At you don't barely really. see them. Yeah. Ah, there's, I think maybe a dinner scene, and that's when he retires, and mm. that's it. Like, you barely see him react, and you're almost... I don't know, it kind of made me think of, like, oh, maybe that's just... that like That's why they're both unhappy, is because they've sort of missed that connection mm. with each other, even though they're husband and wife. And, like, I, there's, a, there's a lot about connecting, and the, the two main characters feel isolated and, um, um, like, a, apart from their, um, the people, the peers, I guess, the people that surround them. It's worth noting that the reason Max does is because he has Asperger's. Yeah. And that's why he uh, he finds out halfway through the film that that's why he struggles to connect with people and he uh, doesn't understand social cues and he struggles to deal with the sort of erraticness of like the way everybody behaves, especially because he's in the middle of New York City, mm-hmm. which I can't imagine is very helpful for his situation. Yeah, there's that kind of classic saying, which I think is attributed to New York City, the kind of how you can feel so alone in a city of millions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess it's it's dealing with well, it's because it's got all these problems, and then almost at the end, the the way they both deal with it is through this one connection that they have that they've kept for on and off for most of their life, yeah, um, well, most of Mary's life so far, and um, that this connection kind of um, can dramatically affect their mood either way. Yeah, part of me almost so in the end, uh, Mary goes to find Max in New York. And Max has died in the night. And uh, at first I was really... I felt let down by that. Because I thought in this film about connection, I was like, I wanted them to really fully connect at the end. Hmm. And have that moment where they get to meet properly. And it's your nice happy ending in a movie that has been kind of a downer. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I thinking back on it, I think I actually prefer the way it ends where she really gets to see the impact that she had on his life. Ah, it's almost like the emphasis when the fact that she doesn't quite make it to see him alive, the emphasis that their connection is much bigger than just like a physically being in yeah, the same room. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, she goes in and she looks up and finds that his ceiling is covered in the letters with the letters from um, Mary that she wrote to him. And that um, when he even, like, maybe slightly on the nose itself, but when he died, he's, like, smiling, looking up at the scene. Yeah. Looking at these Which letters. Which, there's a whole, there's a running theme throughout the film that he, he doesn't, he doesn't smile, but his brain is smiling. Yeah. 
Um, so like it's almost like did there that's how big the connection is and you don't necessarily need um, proximity to the person to still mm. help make that connection that was another thing I was thinking when I was talking about things that were on the nose that was some that was something that I should have brought up was the fact that everything in Max's world is in black and white except for the things he receives from Mary yeah. those are in colour that in itself is quite an on-the-nose thing. It's like, oh, the, she's the thing bringing colour into his life. Hmm. Like, you know. Yeah. It's... But, again, because it's a cartoon and because it's in that animation style, it gets away with it. Whereas I think if that was live action, you'd be like, okay, boys. It's also, it also helps that there's always something just extremely satisfying of a black and white film where one thing's in colour. Yeah. It just looks... How are they doing that? <laughs> it just looks great. Sin City, Schindler's List. Yeah. Like, all of those films that do that. It just, it just looks good. Yeah. Um, But I thought, yeah, I, I... Thinking back on it now, I do... I really like the way it ended. Hmm. Like you said, where it's kind of their connection transcends more than just the, the physical. <laughs> those are some more words with sugar on them. <laughs> <laughs> Sugar-coated words. Um, but still very sad. I mean, the the, the human in me still wants, wanted them to meet. Yeah, obviously. But she has a child now. She has a child. Uh, because she gets... that. How did you feel about her entire... So she, she, she starts doing really well for a while. Hmm. And she gets married and she writes this book. Ah, she studies um, Asperger's ah, mental disability and then based on writes him, a book based on, Max. Yeah, on him as his case study. Um... And Max reads it and doesn't like it. Yeah. And well, it's because he talks about before he, um, when he's diagnosed with it, he, um, whoever the psychiatrist is Hasselhoff, is it? And mm. his name's Hasselhoff. Um, he describes it as a problem, and um, I'm pretty sure Max explicitly says that he doesn't know, understand why it's a problem. Mm. Uh, he doesn't understand why he's seen as the weird one, and obviously that book is encapsulating him as the weird one and mm. she's like oh we'll find a cure for this it's almost again kind of on the nose where it's like it's, she she is saying the exact things that he said earlier in uh like as a as a, um, a negative things that he's always seen like he sees as a positive it's like on the nose sort of mirroring each other yeah um that's what disrupts their relationship for the um greatest time mm. very sad it's very sad film. <laughs> it really is. Loads of people die. Couldn't believe after the dad died, then the mum died. Yeah, that it's was not rough. long afterwards. And uh, she she kills herself, doesn't she? Oh no, she no, doesn't. She doesn't. She doesn't kill herself. I apologize. Um, How does she do it, Danny? She. Oh, what does she drink? She drinks like she's trying to go for the sherry, but she uh, drinks like uh, ethanol, something like that, like a whole bottle of it. Yeah. And she, she dies that sherry. way because she thinks it's Sherry. What did you think of? Because Mary, um, so she writes the yeah, she writes the book. Um, he rejects it, so she destroys every copy, which is like <laughs> that was the that was one of the parts we talked about how we kind of audibly reacted to the film a mm. few times, and that was a moment that really kind of got me. I think she's shredding she, the book. She shreds yeah. all every single one of the books into this giant industrial shredder. Hi, which was so upsetting to me. Um. And then she gets depressed because she feels like she's upset a friend and her life's a bit more directionless now that she's she's not um, working on this research. Her husband that she marries turned out to be gay. 
Yes. Yeah, and he moved to New Zealand and ran away. So she, what I wanted to ask is, what did you think of the moment where she tried to commit suicide? Yeah, I thought it was... It's very creatively handled. They kind of turn it into this sort of... She takes a lot of Valium, and I guess... By consequent, by proxy, gets very loopy mm. and starts to imagine that there's music playing and these all these pictures are swirling around her and she starts pictures singing. of family, pictures yeah. of Max. It, do you think? What do you think it says about her character though that like that? Well, I guess because that really was the only proper connection that she had, wasn't it? Well, yeah. And so when uh... that's severed, she doesn't want to keep living anymore. Well, the whole that whole sequence feels like a she's a conductor that's like. And then the music gets a bit manic and so mm. there's a conductor who's losing control of of these things that she's trying to conduct. And the way the, the frames are spinning around, it's almost like that's the thing she's losing control of. And obviously there, all of the pictures are relationships she's supposed to have had, whether it be her husband, her um, pen pal, or, or her various family members. And mm. all of them are severed through various death, divorce, and um, just not liking her book. Yeah. Um, so like yeah, so if it, like if, yeah, it feels like it make like makes sense that that's the point it builds up to, and that's when she takes it, and that's like it's what's forced her to try and commit suicide is just her lack of connection with anyone. Hmm. I thought it was pretty beautifully done. It's very moving. Aye. And then the fact that the thing that stops her is the package arrives right in the nick of time from Max. Aye. And it's, as well, the old man across the road who doesn't like going outside. Who suffers from homophobia? Who suffers from homophobia? But it was what was the oh, it's what's the, the actual term. It's I can't actually remember. It's the fear of going outside. That's it. But the there's a running joke in the beginning when she's a child that thinks, thinks it's, it's that the the, the term the is term homophobia. homophobia. Yeah. yeah. Um. That he had he had some of the funniest gags. I thought the old man across the street. One of the funniest gags I thought was when he comes out <laughs> of the ice and then runs out inside because the ice cream truck run goes out of control uh, and crashes. He's trying to brave it and come out outside. Uh, and then the ice cream truck goes straight for me, goes back inside. <laughs> There's some incredibly funny moments in this. Like I would say, every joke hit the mark, hmm. spot on. Um, a lot very of them, kind of dry humor. A lot of them come from how twisted and dark it is. Yeah, like, I like, but then I liked lines like uh, one of my favorite lines was um, when the two soldiers came and asked me if I was part of any. <laughs> was it part of any organizations or radical organizations radical organizations radical and he says oh well I'm part of uh, the New York Science the New York Fiction, Science Fiction Club Club uh, and then it's like I, I I didn't mention to them that I was also a communist <laughs> at one point like <laughs> <laughs> it was very good that was good um, no I appreciated some of the darker humor yeah there's a lot of good kind of dry jokes and a lot of like good visual gags and stuff as well uh, some of the timing mm. especially with animation when you're doing comedy and animation timing because uh, it's almost one of the few mediums where you can completely control that yeah um and some of the timing's on point the way the, the the moment that the ice cream van hits the house of the guy who's afraid to go outside is like it's the, it's the exact point you want it to be mm. What did you think of the, uh, the music I like the music we recognized I'm some of them convinced so I shazammed it there's a song called Perpetuum. Perpetu- Perpe- Perpetuum Mobile by Penguin Cafe Orchestra. I'm convinced that is the song that plays in Mina on the Dying Girl when he shows her the movie. Hmm. Which is a fucking devastating scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, in one of my faves. That's a great film as well. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. No one talks about how good it is because 
lots of people don't seem to have seen it or care that it exists. Tell me I wrote a dissertation on it. You did write a dissertation on it. Maybe we should read that on the podcast one day. Oh, what a, what a great way. It sounds like an audiobook. It would be fun. Um, yeah, I thought it it does kind of it does kind of overuse that a little bit. I thought maybe it's weird. The Frank Sinatra one's really weird. Yeah, there's a couple of a couple of kind of what what's the song she sings? Oh, she sings a uh, Kesara Sara. Yeah, which is, which is always a sad, especially when you slow it down. And you just think of that scene in The Simpsons when Ned Flanders going out to sacrifice himself. Oh yeah, so that they can all stay in the bunker. That's that's true sadness. Yeah, in that's animation. the that's the song she's gonna say that she is being played while she goes to kill herself. Yeah, which is always a. It's just using it at moments like that. Just but yeah, just always seems sad. Mm-hmm. It's one of those almost shortcut ones. It's almost like hurt from Johnny Cash. You're like yeah, it's like a direct line. Yeah, to um, sadness. Here's a fucking thing I learned the other day. All right, hurt by Johnny Cash is a cover. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What? By nine, it's a Nine Inch Nails song. Yeah. How bizarre is that? It's a bizarre concept, Insane. isn't it? I've never heard the Nine Inch Nails version. That is a song. You will have. So... You've heard it. How? It's the last uh, season, last uh, episode of season two of Rick and Morty. They play the Nine Inch Nails one. Do they? Yeah. Do they? It's bizarre because you're gonna keep repeating. Because you'd think the Nine Inch Nails would be the cover of the Johnny Cash one. Oh shit! I do know this. I'm sad now. That is crazy because that—that's got to be the mark of a good cover when you attribute the song to another artist. But do you attribute because, like, I because I I think they're both good in their own ways. But, like, do you attribute it because you think Johnny Cash is way before Nine Inch Nails? Because it's almost mental. Yes, that's, I think, yeah. It's almost mental to think it, Johnny that Cash... That they existed at the same yeah, time, yeah. Johnny Cash, like I say, did, because, like, Johnny Cash lived to be a, a... I don't actually know what, but he lived mm. a semi-decent age. Um, but, like, it's almost mental to think that Johnny Cash was one day, like, just listening to a Nine Inch Nails song and went... Hey, fetch me my guitar. Cash is sitting listening to Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why it's mental that one is the cover of the other. Um, but I know what you mean. It is a really, it's really bizarre to think of it. Do you think the biggest one maybe is um, Jimi Hendrix with All Along the Watchtower? Yeah, most I think a lot of people don't know that's a Bob, Bob Dylan, Dylan song. song. And Bob Dylan, I think, came out and was like, "Yeah, Jimi Hendrix version's better." I like he, I like, he, like he, Bob Dylan. Watch the Jimi Hendrix version way better. That was my what? That was my Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, what are you doing here? <laughs> Though he doesn't sound like that anymore, does he? He's all like croaking. Oh, and he's and like hard, very raspy. Hello, Daddy. It's a not good time listening to Bob Dylan now. Um, yeah, there's so many, especially like old bluesy songs. I guess like Bob Bob Dylan, where like you don't realize, like Tainted Love, Soft Cell. That's a cover, mm-hmm. and that's like Soft Cell's. Most well-known song, soft sell as well. Uh, Say hello and wave, wave goodbye. I always thought that was a David Gray song until Soft Cell's version played in Master of None when he's in the taxi. Okay, that's that song. I was like, I know this song, and then I was like, that's a David Gray cover. And then it turns out that this version was written like thirty <laughs> years before the David Gray version. Aye, it's it can be sometimes mind-boggling, but that, yeah, as you say, that's a mark of a good cover where you don't know. 
Like you have no yeah, idea. Yeah. I guess maybe the Johnny Cash one is maybe as well because more people probably know Johnny Cash than Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, I guess so. I feel like Nine Inch Nails is though in that in that particular genre of music, it is the one it's like one of the bands yeah. you know the most I've of. I've seen them live. Have you? Very passively at Leeds Festival in 2013. Was Johnny Cash there? He was not. Because mm, okay. he was dead. Okay. Johnny Cash is dead. Did you know that? Yes. That's good. God rest his soul. No, no, we're God, so sad. God, God rest his soul. Um, um, but before her, what were we going to say? What were we going to say? Uh, say Sarah, say Sarah. But then there's the Frank Sinatra song where... It's she goes to get a letter and you as the viewer thinks that she's going to get a letter from Max that will make her happy but it turns out to be a letter from her husband who apparently yes. left and she didn't notice that he even he <laughs> says that in the letter he's like I don't you've even noticed that I've been packing my stuff over the past few I didn't move to New Zealand yeah um, but the song starts playing and it's really bizarre because it's like kind of gets into your head gradually where it's like mm-hmm. oh this sounds familiar this sounds familiar and then it builds and builds and then you'll start singing that's life that's life because it's like just it's a, yeah. a, a like a, a, what do you call it an instrumental cover of Frank Sinatra's mm-hmm. That's Life so it does use like familiar uses, songs yeah. uh, with, and uh, it also a uses book. a lot of real world literature and stuff as well like yeah. the books a lot of the books she's reading are all real books yeah. but I think maybe I mean I don't know personally but I think maybe all of them might be I don't know 100% but like there was one book that has a I can't remember which one it was it has a ridiculous title but then um, I just happened to know it was an actual book so mm-hmm. it wasn't just it wasn't a joke or anything it was just a book mm-hmm. uh, there's quite a few sort of touchstones it's like in realism, remember in the Snoopy movie the Charlie Brown movie yeah. where fucking he reads War and Peace it's a children's movie yeah and you're putting it in a whole plotline about war and peace <laughs> well fair play you know what don't talk down to the kiddies aye they're smarter than people give them credit for when Gromit goes to jail he reads crime, he reads crime and punishment yes yes he does they're yes, both he does. non-talking dogs who read serious uh, heavy literature well it was Charlie Brown that was reading war and peace oh I thought it was have stupid. you not seen the, the Peanuts movie well we saw it together no, I saw it with uh, my friend Lewis. Oh, I thought we saw it together. You maybe saw it with Hal. Or you maybe just went to see it by yourself. Sad, <laughs> sad little man. <laughs> I'm oh, the Charlie I can't wait to the Charlie Brown movie. <laughs> Star Wars Force Away. I remember when we were going to see it, we were like, if we bump into anyone we know, we'll just say we're going to see Star Wars. <laughs> It'll make life a lot easier. Oh, I thought I saw that one with you. No. Fair enough. Unfortunately not, Danny. We saw the Minions movie together. Remember that fucking garbage? <laughs> Yes. Together. Speaking of fucking going to see Pish together, we're going to see Jurassic World 2 after this. Yeah. <laughs> That's. I may be being judgmental. Yeah, maybe it's good. Maybe you should shut up. Maybe you don't know. Wow, no need for that. I, maybe you should just give it a chance. Wow. I mean, you're going to anyway because you, you know, it's, it's Jurassic it World. So it's for a, free. Uh, it's a sequel to Jurassic Park. So. Can't wait. Oh, oh, I got a little bit sleepy. We're going to need a coffee before we go see this movie. Have you, I guess it's on topic of animated films, have you seen the Spider-Man trailer that came out yesterday? I was going to ask about this, yeah, I was going to ask you. Did you yeah, see it? Do you write, like, it looks fucking great. Awesome. Yeah, the animation, yeah. the, into the, what's it, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? Into the Spider-Verse, yeah. And it just looks, the animation looks so My lovely. My favourite verse of any song. Um, how many alternate Spider-Mans will there be? Because there's I, three in the trailer, there's Miles Morales, there's fucking Nick from New Girl, 
And yeah, Gwen Stacy. It yeah. was a bit jarring hearing. Like I know he's supposed hearing to be, his voice. Yeah, because yeah. I I didn't pick up it was um was it Jake Johnson? Was that his name? Yeah, Jake Johnson. I did. Pi- right. I I picked up that I knew the voice, and then I googled it. And I was like, oh, Jake Johnson. Yeah, that makes sense. Is but, he playing Peter Parker? Is that... Yeah, but he looks like to be playing an older Peter yeah. Parker, which makes sense because I don't think his voice quite suits. His voice one. suits, and I mean no disrespect to Jake Johnson, his voice does suit older, fatter, alcoholic man. <laughs> <laughs> Aye. Because um, he does have a tendency to play loser characters. So I think if they're kind of portraying him as like a sort of old, kind of run down a bit, I think hmm. he'll, his voice will work quite well. Hmm. Yeah, I'm up for that. Uh, in terms of your question, I've not read the... Um any of the Spider-Verse stuff. I remember there was a version of it on the Spider-Man animated TV show. I'm pretty sure that's how it ends. Mm-hmm. It ends where, like, he has to go and meet various versions of Spider-Man. There's a Spider-Ham. There is Spider-Ham. We, we, we probably, if this uh, animated film does go that deep in, we'll probably see Spider-Ham. They will. There's no way they won't... If this is a fully animated movie, there's no way they won't put Spider-Ham in. Hmm. You just, sure you've got right. the opportunity to. I, that. personally, I have faith. It's uh, it looks fun. I like um um the style is it's very um we can't we you think... the chance of meatballs. It looks like yeah, it looks very cloudy ch- um chance of meatballs. But like almost the um the way it's filmed, it's it feels bizarre because it was almost like we're beyond because we have so many comic book films. We're beyond doing comic book as a style. Yeah, but it does feel very comic booky, and it is in a good way. And like, when's the last time a comic book film like made it obvious in its style that it was a comic book film? Yeah, maybe Sin City Two. I didn't see Sin City Two, but Sin City did. I guess we just said Sin City Two because it's newer. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The last time it like a film (laughs) bothered to do that, and Sin City Two only did it because it was the sequel to one that had made that sort of style famous. Um, Was Eva Green the villain in that movie? She was well. It's a segment. It's like an anthology thing. So yeah, she was the villain for one. And of then it. Eva Green wasn't she the villain in the Three Hundred sequel? I didn't see the Three Hundred sequel. Eva Green, stop it! <laughs> You're a good actress. Stop being in bad movies. Aye. Remember, remember Casino Royale. Hmm. Good movie. She's great in Casino Royale. Great in it. What happened to Eva Green? What happened to Eva Green? Tune in next week to find out more. Eva's Green. Eva's Green. That's definitely girl. a strand of weed sold by somebody. <laughs> definitely. Eva Green. For the, for the Bond enthusiasts. Yeah. Um, um, I, though, I, I, I just wanted to bring that up. Like, that was... like a, I, I was quite looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would also be so up for, like, if this goes well, like, a re- uh, well, a release of an animated movie that has to do with Spider-Man but has nothing to do with the bees or anything like that. I'd be up for more of that happening. If yeah, this, if this so, especially if it's a lot more, more experimental. It means you could do more crazy stories without interfering with the fucking MCU and Aye. the DCU and the X Men U and the U U U and the BFB and the BFGU, the BFGCU. <laughs> My favorite of the cinematic universes. <laughs> Is that where all Roald Dahl characters come together under the BFG? And they fight. They have to fight. Did you see that about a Roald Dahl character? No. Um, the they wanted to do they want to do a prequel, obviously Willy Wonka prequel. <sighs> Fuck. But they've got. Fuck off. Nobody wants to see a Willy Wonka prequel. No one. But they've attached Donald Glover to it at the moment. 
to he's, play Willy Wonka. Yeah, to play Willy Wonka. He's the big rumor to play Willy Wonka. I'd be up for that. But stop it. Make just anything else. No one wants to. F- oh my Christ! Did you hear the fucking Jared Leto news? Yes. Fuck off. They're doing a Joker. That thing. sounds like such a vanity project because he didn't get his way in Suicide Squad. Newsflash, Jared Leto. No one got their way on that movie. <laughs> it's a stinking pile of shit and one of the worst things I've ever seen. Oh, oh. Just let that let that die. Don't try and revitalize that version of the joker let it die but so, they've got so many projects on the go that like the not just like martin scorsese's joker film but they've got like fucking uh, they want to do like a harley quinn and joker film with jared leto they want to do suicide squad 2 which would presumably involve jared leto um they they want to do a harley quinn solo film which would presumably in some has to involve the joker in some way there's so much happening that you're like oh what what I, like, that's a whole different off, thing all spinning off from a film that was shit to begin with only and I mean no disrespect to you if you like this movie but you're an idiot if you like Suicide Squad it's amazing because it's spin-offs <laughs> of a shit film which is part of a broken un- like cinematic yeah. universe just fucking cut the cord and start again <laughs> start again and just be like let's just do it the normal way that we should have done it to begin with, which is do like two Superman movies, a Batman movie, and a Wonder Woman movie, and then have them all come together, and then fucking chuck the other ones in for good measure. Whatever, who cares? <laughs> Stop making them. Do you have anything else to say about Mary and Max? Max and Mary. No, I I, Mary I, Mary. I did have one more thing to say, and I was like, because um, we talked oh, about nice. um, the difference between being an adult and a children's film. I wanted a shout out for a film I really like, which I think is about depression. No, it's not allowed. But it's also a ch- it's for children. I wanted to shout out Song of the Sea because I fucking love that oh, film. Oh shit, yeah. Song of the Sea is very explicitly about depression, but it's f- um, a film made for children, and I really really love that film. Mm-hmm. And it's not really it's only vaguely related, but I wanted a shout out because not many people yeah, talk what? about Song of the Sea. Song of the Sea, um, and. Coming soon, it might already be out. It might be one of a, one of those films that go just to the GFT. But the the guy did Song of yes, the Sea, Scott the breadwinner, the breadwinner, yeah. the breadwinner, which kind of, if I remember right from seeing the trailer, has a bit of a Mulan vibe, where it's mm-hmm. maybe I'm thinking of another film. But it, like, it's super excited to see that um, our film out is coming out from the guy who did Song of the Sea. Yeah, hopefully, Breadwinner's really cool as well. It is so. out in the GFT just now. I think. Is it? Mm. Might go see that. Might go fork out for the GFT. You should. I'm doing it tomorrow. What are you seeing tomorrow? I'm going to see a film. I'm going to see a documentary about Alexander McQueen. Okay. Called McQueen. The the designer. The designer. The designer. I only learned about like <laughs> four days ago. Well, there you go. The documentary is a great place to start. It's a good place to start. Mm. Yep. I'm going to go learn about him. That, that's, that's all I had to say. Anyway, uh, I think we could leave it there. Yeah. That was quite. Uh, that was a relatively more... We actually were reviewing a movie rather than Aye. just rambling. <laughs> that was quite mellow. If you want to get in contact with us, um, you can contact us Facebook, Twitter, at uh, Second Opinion. Um, that's Second and with a two. Certainly is. Cool. Eat your J.K. Simmons, everyone. Eat your J.K. Simmons. <coughs> <coughs> and release your bees in the wild. Oh, the, he was a good bee. He was a good bee. He got out in the end. To quote James A. Castor, oh, I respected that bee so much. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.